Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Jonathan Page, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. I am excited to be here, Mark. Thank you for having me. I'm excited that you're here, Jonathan. This is going to be a a fun conversation. This is something that I love to talk about. It's been part of my life, my entire life. And uh, I'm really excited about having this conversation. You're a professional services provider. I'm a professional services provider. And we're both big dreamers. And so I want to talk about achieving some of those big dreams, you know, because as youngsters, a lot of us have these ideas of what we want to do. As when you start your business, you have a lot of these big ideas of what your life could look like and what your life can be, what this business that you're about to start could be someday. And sometimes it doesn't happen. Right. And there's reasons for why it doesn't happen. So I'd love to have that conversation with you. But before we do that, I want to introduce you and I want to get your origin story. I want to understand where you've come from. And then we're going to talk a little bit about achieving the big dream. Jonathan is an attorney in an entrepreneur's body. He thrives on helping CEOs and business owners like us rethink their next big blue ocean and achieve breakthrough success in business and life. In 2013, Jonathan left a mid-sized firm where he served as corporate counsel for large privately held corporations and small businesses to found his company in Prime Legal, a revolutionary way for businesses to approach legal. Since then, Jonathan founded Contract Sprint, a platform for small business owners 
to access custom legal documents done in minutes, not weeks, as well as another company called Bore Relentless, a consulting and strategic firm focused on helping business owners achieve breakthrough success in business and life. So lots of different platforms, lots of different dreams Mm -hmm. being pursued here. So I'm excited about this. I think you and I are very much aligned. I have a similar portfolio of dream chasing. So this will be an interesting conversation, Jonathan. I'd love to start with you and your origin story. Where and when did you discover your passion for what you do and maybe even who or what inspired you to pursue that passion? Yeah, so my passion where I light up and just feel that I, you know, am able to be of service to others is really kind of helping people achieve breakthrough success, not only in their business, but in their life as well. And that really started back when I was 25. I was at a growth conference with my aunt. And during a break, sitting in the hotel lobby, she shared with me a story about my dad, who was a business owner, and their father, who we called Papa. And what she shared with me really changed my whole outlook on how to approach business and how to approach life. So Papa, he had a big presence, right? He was somebody who had a great reputation in the community. And so he had a lot of influence over people, including my dad. And my dad had this burning desire to go to college. And when he went to Papa for the application fee, thought it would be an easy conversation, a Papa surprised him. He looked at my dad and said, you're too stupid. Oh, too stupid to go to college. And so as I sat there listening to the story, I just started crying right there in the lobby. It just hit me. And I thought of people in my life who had told me of things that I couldn't achieve. I thought of people who said that big dreams weren't possible. And I thought of the excuses I had that I'd been telling myself up to that point for why I hadn't achieved more. And so that conversation with my aunt in a hotel lobby really sparked this lifelong quest to be unstoppable to achieve every big dream that I set out to achieve. And I went on this journey. I read all of these personal growth books, Think and Grow Rich, As a Man Thinketh, The Science of Getting Rich. I invested hundreds of thousands of dollars of my own money on coaching of all sorts, from business coaching to life coaching to business strategy. Just wanted to figure this out and developed ultimately a success system that I started using on our own clients, clients who had hired us for legal services that really helped them break through seven figures and go to eight figures and then beyond. And I use the same success system. I use it today that has helped me scale up these different companies and achieve breakthrough success, not only in business, but I've got six kids with an amazing wife, all boys. And so you can imagine the the, uh, time restraints on that. And uh, I feel like we've been able to achieve a tremendous success with our own kids as well as we've scaled up these businesses. So it's success formula that I have kind of gone out and started, you know, incorporating in everything that we do. And so even though we've got these three companies, Contract Sprint and Prime Legal, Bore, they're all tied around the same mission, which is to help CEOs achieve breakthrough success. And every CEO has to hear me tell them about this success system and... (laughs) encourage them to use it. Well, I'm looking forward to having that conversation because I think, well, I don't think I know that there are thousands of architects listening right now who are in that same place where they've started their business 
they want it to be successful. Some of them are successful. They've sort of found the way to get it to be successful. They've done the things that we talk about here on the podcast and others sort of struggle every day, right? And every day they're like, oh, I'm just going to get better today, right? And then a year later, it still hasn't gotten any better. And so I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on that. Before we do that, you're an attorney, but you clearly have an entrepreneurial spirit, right? This isn't just some new thing, right? Entrepreneurs like you and much like me, this is part of our DNA. So where did that come from? Where did the pursuit of uh, law come from? And then why didn't you pursue business and entrepreneurism from the beginning? So I did pursue business and entrepreneurship from the beginning. Everything I did, I love dance. And so I was a ballroom dance instructor and I figured out how to turn it into a business. And I had a lot of failures. And so after graduating from college, I went on this kind of like rapid entrepreneurial path of starting up these small little business and figuring things out and failing. And then decided, you know, I need to, I need to get like an MBA is what I thought. Mm -hmm. And so I was looking into like options and somehow somebody mentioned, you know, you might consider a law degree. Like a lot of people get law degrees, not to practice law, but they kind of see it as like uh, even better than an MBA, much harder, even a better business education. None of that was true, by the way, but that was the perception (laughs) I thought. So that's where I went into law school. I've heard that too. Yeah. I went to law school like with the understanding that this was going to be just a tremendous business education. I was really like trying to soak up knowledge. And so now I was like, let's figure out some technical skills around business. Obviously, I learned I was required to take criminal laws, required to take a lot of other laws that had nothing to do with business. But I did gravitate towards the corporate law and learn you know, some great things about, you know, doing private offerings and raising money and, you know, how shares work and stuff like that. And so after going through law school, I did well, I was fortunate, I did really well, and ended up getting a really good position because of how well I did at a really reputable firm, and got the opportunity to practice complex legal transactions. So I kind of changed partway through and said, you know, maybe I should do a few years practicing and get that experience. My dad, like I would go home Sunday evenings and I was working, you know, at the big law firm and it was the same thing. My wife and my dad would team up on me and they would be like, when are you going to open your own business? (laughs) We know who you are. We know you've got this entrepreneurial drive. Like we get that you want to go practice a little bit, but when are you going to open up your own business? And I'd be like, guys, I've got to get some experience, you know? I need some mentorship under how to do complex transactions. But ultimately, that set with me. And even how I practice law, it was interesting. I was very systematic. And I was like, you know, like, I understand, because I would feel this firsthand, like, it really was better for the firm if we just started over with each client. Why? Because we build more, right? And that's how they make money. I mean, the big law firms, they, you know, when you teach business, right, we all read Bern Harnish and Gino Wickman and all these guys. I mean, you put key metrics in place because key metrics drive behavior. And if the entire model of the business is based on hours build, right, then that's going to drive behavior. Architects are going to face the same thing, right? Any professional services who are billing by the hour. But then what law firm does is they go the extra step and they say, well, you have to build 2000 hours a year. You have, and they have these like insane requirements and they hold their attorneys to them. And then everything, you know, is built upon those metrics. They're looking at like how many hours gets to an invoice, how much is cut, how much is cut by the client. Like that's how they're grading themselves. It's how they're hiring. 
And so literally, if you could go to a law firm that size and say, you know, this project that you're doing, you could actually do the high quality, just to get a job. It would take only 15 minutes because we're going to have software do 80% of it. And then the attorney's going to laser focus and do, they're not going to buy that. It doesn't fit within their business model. Right. Like they're not going to make any money doing that. So I started building out those systems even back then. I was creating like checklists and I was creating basically like logic models. And so when I would get a similar project, I would go in and I would get the project done in 20% of the time. And then I would spend the 80% improving it and figuring out how I could make it better so that I was constantly iterating on what I was doing. And by the time I left, like when I gave them my resignation and told them I was going to open a business, they negotiated with me for three months to try to keep me, raise my salary. I mean, we had many, many conversations with partners. They were telling me that I was the best associate that they had ever hired. And it wasn't that I was really better than any of the other associates. It's just I had this commitment to constantly iterating on improvement. And I realized that software can do this as well. You can train software to iterate, not to replace, right? But to come in and, you know, when you're talking about blue ocean strategy, it's all about what things aren't that valuable that we can reduce and where can we increase where the value really is. There's no one, no one who's hired an attorney is thinking about that attorney when they're behind their desk spending 20 hours writing a document. Nobody, there's no value there. The value is in the consultation, it's in the strategy, it's in that exchange, yet you're being charged mostly for the time that the attorney's behind the desk spending 20 hours writing a document. And I just believe that that could be eliminated and we could reduce that and we can increase where the value really is and allow attorneys to have more meaningful business expansion type conversations with our clients. And so, you know, even from the beginning, when I was working in a law firm, it was all entrepreneurial. It's all, how can I solve this problem? How can I build greater value for our customers out there? And that's been kind of a consistent thought process through this journey. Yeah, I'm sure you're resonating very much with the listeners of this podcast right now, because architects and attorneys are not that different in terms of the way that we are working with our clients and the expectations of our clients from us. So I love that you've sort of broken it down to its simplest forms and then created a product that can be much less expensive, but replicated and be able to serve your clients in a much more efficient, more effective way. Mm -hmm. So you also talked about your system. I'm assuming that the system was used to build this or maybe even evolved while you were creating Contract Sprint. Can you talk about that a little bit? Architects are small business owners. You know, they're not educated in business at all, which is why this podcast has become very popular. And so can you sort of break down the idea of achieving in business and achieving that big dream that architects may have? Yeah. So I think as I started studying all these personal growth books and, you know, investing in myself and taking action and doing big things, what I observed kind of out there, and we have the opportunity to represent business owners of all sizes, is that most entrepreneurs, most visionaries, most founders never really achieve the big dreams that they hope for because they stop. They just stop. Yeah. And at some point in their life, they maybe convince themselves that they don't deserve a big dream like that, or they start telling themselves stories about what they can do and what they can't do. They look at other entrepreneurs who have achieved big things and they say, well, they were lucky or they were in the right place at the right time. 
or they have a bigger IQ than I do. And all of these things have nothing to do with the actual specifications required to achieve a big dream, right? And so what we teach is that every big dream can be achieved with the right specifications. And it's all about cause and effect. You know, if I came to an architect and said, I want you to design a floating house that has like no supports, they would look at me crazy. Like there's the law of physics. You know, there's a certain way that you have to do things. And what happens out there is you've got an entrepreneur who says, I have this big dream. And then they want to defy the law of physics, right? They think that they can choose what those specifications are. They can do it the way they want to do it, right? I can achieve this big dream sitting on the couch all day, right? Sitting on the couch all day is not going to cause you to achieve the thing that you say you want to achieve. There are certain specifications to achieve it. So as an entrepreneur, you have to pick what it is you're trying to do. What does that big dream look like? And then you have to open yourself up to learn and figure out and accept what the right specifications are to achieve that, right? So any entrepreneur who's achieved anything of major success, they'll tell you at the beginning, all I had was a vision. I had no idea how I was going to do it, right? Right. But too many entrepreneurs say, I need a perfect plan. So they stop waiting around for this perfect plan, waiting around for this perfect roadmap, which they never get. And the reason they never get that perfect roadmap is because their level of awareness, everyone's at a certain point of awareness. And the point of awareness that they're at today isn't the awareness they need to be at to achieve their big dream. If it was, they would achieve it tomorrow, right? They would know what those specifications are. It's not there. So how do you get your level of awareness to a point where you can see what you need to do to achieve it? The only way you can do that is by taking action. As you take action, you start to figure out what works, what doesn't work, what's leading you in the right direction, what isn't leading you in the right direction. You start to figure out cause and effect and you end up being required to change. And so action leads to change. And with change, you have to make a sacrifice. Change requires a sacrifice. You only have 24 hours in your day right. and every single hour is booked. Even if you're choosing to watch TV, you would book that time. No one is sitting against a wall staring at it. They have booked every single minute of their day. And so if you're going to change, if you're going to achieve different results, then you're going to have to sacrifice activities of a lower value for activities of a higher value. You may have to get up earlier. You may have to stop watching as much Netflix as you're watching. You may have to say no to a lot more things and say yes to different things. Right. And as you change, you adopt. And entrepreneurs will know whether they are adopting successfully because their environment will change. And I always tell people, I can tell you exactly what your level of awareness is if you let me look at your credit card statement and your calendar, because it's going to reveal right away what your priorities are. Right. Right. And as your environment changes, you start hanging around different people. You start investing in different activities. You start investing in different things. Then you grow. And with growth, your awareness increases. And with increased awareness, you start making better decisions. And with better decisions, you start taking more effective action. And it just kind of continues until you get closer and closer and closer to achieving that big dream. And along the way, you're going to have all sorts of reasons to stop. Let's take a quick break to say thank you to our sponsors for their support of this episode. Accurate data is crucial. 
especially in today's business environment. Outdated and inaccurate data leads to turnarounds, delays, and rising costs. With supply chain and staffing issues, these costs and delays can multiply. That's why a resource like RCAT.com is so important. RCAT works with manufacturers to keep their data up to date and accurate and offers it to you easily accessible and free. Use RCAT's powerful search engine to find what you need fast and download it right there on their site without needing to pay for anything. It's free. You don't even have to register. So go try RCAT.com today. That's A-R-C-A-T.com. You know, one of the things that we're studying, I always try to introduce something, you know, that invokes some thought process. And one of the people we're studying right now is Stallone. I don't know if you're familiar with Rocky. Yes. He was nominated <laughs> for 10 Academy Awards, won Best Picture, won Best Screenplay. I mean, Rocky, Stallone had $106 in his bank account. Before writing that script, which he wrote, he was told that he could never be a leading actor. He had a speech impediment. He had a crooked mouth. He had all these things going against him. He didn't look like leading actors at the time. Yeah, he wasn't even in shape in the original Rocky. He wasn't even <laughs> in shape. No, he's a little chubby, you know, yeah. which I think actually helped with the character. But he had a big dream mm -hmm. and he took action. And he saw that fight between Muhammad Ali and Chuck Weimer, I think is how you say his name, where he went 15 rounds with Ali and then it just surprised everybody. And he had this idea. Even then, he didn't write the script. Everybody thinks he went home and wrote the script. What he did is he went to a casting call. And this thing was like on his mind. Didn't get cast, obviously. But as he was walking out, he told the director, who happened to be one of these producers, and said, hey, I've got this boxing script that I'm working on. I'd love to show it to you. And the guy said, yeah, bring it around. Now he had to go write. So that's why he wrote it in three <laughs> and a half days, because he had to actually show him something. But even then, we hear Stallone talk about this. He's like, when I finished that script, I did it in three and a half days. I knew 90% of it would be replaced. He wasn't waiting on it to be perfect. Yeah. Right. His objective was just to get it down, just to get it out. So he had something to show him. And then when he showed them the script, they loved it. He had a mission. He was mission driven. He wanted to have a film. He was very specific about this. All the films then were like anti everything. And I felt like we needed films that were like back in the 1940s with, you know, James Stewart, where it was motivational and it was about, you know, going the distance. And he sold these producers on this mission and they said, absolutely, we want to do this film. You just can't star in it. Hmm. They offered him like 25 grand. Then it went up to like 100 grand. And then it was like 250 grand. Finally, they offered him $350,000. Here's a guy with $106 in his bank account. He can't make rent. He can't feed his dog literally starving and they're offering them $350,000 not to start in this film. And that's somebody who said, got everything against me, probably not even a good actor because what everybody's been telling me my whole life, but I can't live with myself if I don't try to achieve my big dream. Yeah. And so he just insisted and he said they finally relented and they wrote in his contract, like all of these conditions that allowed them to kick him out in the first 10 days. He was like, there's all these things I could do wrong. Because I think their plan was, as he says it, is that they were going to let me act in it, but then they were going to find a reason to kick me out. Yeah. And then they were going to put a real actor in there, like Burt Reynolds or Robert Redford. But he just was absolutely relentless that first few days. And he even remembers like when he went on set 
day one, he's like, for a moment, he was like, I'm worthless. I can't do this. I'm not going to be successful. And then he had to like get past that and say, all right, I'm going to do this. And I think that's a big myth. You know, people say in business, like, you got to have confidence. You got to be like 100% certainty that you're going to achieve the big dream that you set out to achieve. And the problem with that is nobody has that confidence. They're dealing with all sorts of fear and doubt. And then they'll realize it very quickly that they don't have that confidence, right? And they'll say, I oh, guess it's not for me. Right. Because all these motivational speechers out there are telling them that's how they have to do it. And when they realize they're all motivated, they leave the motivational conference, and they're like, I'm going to conquer the world. And then 10 days later, they don't do anything because it starts to set in, oh, maybe I have all this doubt. But the reality of it is, is it's not about eliminating doubt and fear. It's about conquering it. Right. Exactly. You know, what these big entrepreneurs did is they conquered it. Stallone conquered it. He didn't make it go away. He still experienced it. He just took action despite it. And I think that's really the big secret. It's all about taking action and understanding that you're going to make mistakes, you're going to fail, you're going to stumble, but you get back up and you keep taking action and you keep moving towards it. Yeah, I agree. I think that the key is that overcoming the fear, right? We all have that fear. That fear is real. Business is hard, right? So you run into that obstacle of fear all the time. How do I get that over that, right? And it's easy to just stop and just continue doing what you're doing and not move forward. Like you said, Jonathan, the key is to keep moving forward and moving forward toward the dream that you're looking to achieve. One of the steps that you talked about was sacrifice. And we're talking to right now, lots of us are established business owners, right? We've been doing this architecture thing for 10 years, right? It's still hard. We're still seeing that fear but we're not getting where we want. And I find it's the sacrifice, right? That your calendar is full with stuff, right? And most of it isn't your dream. Most of it is not the type of work that you want to do. It's not the steps that you need to take to get to where you want to go. And it's easier to just continue doing what you've always done than take the risk of cutting some of that out, right? Because there's only a certain number of hours every week. You're going to have to sacrifice, like you said, Jonathan, some of that work to fill it with something that you're not yet doing, right? That's not yet proven. Mm -hmm. That's scary. That's fearful. It's simple, but it's not easy, right? So do you have any thoughts on that of talking around sacrifice and what you need to do in order to do that, to get the courage to look at your calendar and say, okay, I'm going to wipe out half of this stuff in order to pursue the things that I really want to achieve? Yeah, so I definitely have some thoughts around it. I think one is it is hard. Hard doesn't necessarily correlate directly to time. Something can be hard, but not take a lot of your time. Yeah. And so your resources are really, I always say, you've got time, you have money, and you have talent, right? And they're all connected. That's what you have to achieve your big dream. And so, you know, a Richard Branson of today can throw lots and lots of money as something that's very hard. And Elon Musk can throw lots and lots of money, get lots and lots of talent. It doesn't make it any easier but he's figured out how to leverage his day more. But he didn't start that way, right? Elon Musk talks about like literally living, spending 100 hours a week living with his brother in a one-bedroom apartment. And he would code at night and his brother would. And that's how they built PayPal. So I think one is understanding that hard doesn't necessarily equate to time. Because what we do as entrepreneurs is we think in order to work hard, we have to spend more time. 
And if you get caught up into that, that can be a losing battle because at some point, you know, you just only have those 24 hours. Right. And so you have to kind of reframe that and say, okay, this is hard, but is there a better way I can utilize time to try to accomplish that? Two, what we do or what we teach is that every day you need to put in writing some action that you're going to take in advancement of your big dream. So one, you need to be definite about what that big dream is. And, and I don't think that means clarity. I think it means being definite. And what can help, you know, Napoleon Hill teaches in Think and Grow Rich that every kind of big goal, he calls it your chief aim, needs to have a deadline and a financial component. That's just one way to get definite. We call those goalposts. Like if your end zone is your big dream, goalposts help you orient the direction of how to get to your big dream. And so having a deadline and a financial component can give you that sort of direction. And so being able to take that daily action. Now that action might only take two minutes. It may take five minutes. It may be, you know, a long project, but committing to something. I even commit to things when I'm on vacation. Oftentimes it's just reading something that I feel is going to advance me in my big dream. Even if it's 10 minutes, that's something easy I can do on vacation. But the trick is you've got to keep the big dream a dominating thought. Yeah. And so, you know, if you read Think and Grow Rich and Napoleon Hill's success formula, which I always know if people really read Think and Grow Rich, because I'll ask them, do you recite the self-confidence formula? I think is what Hill calls it. And they'll be like, what's the self-confidence formula? What's well, like <laughs> the main thing that Hill said that you needed to do based on his entire book? And you're supposed to recite it daily. But you know, in there, he says that when you persistently hold a thought, when you persistently hold like a thought in your mind, the practical means of achieving that will eventually produce itself. It'll eventually show itself. And so you're trying to figure out the right specifications to achieve your big dream. It has to be a dominating thought. It has to be something that you're obsessed about, something that you think about all the time. And one way to do that is to write down an action and to write down what your big dream is every single day. Write it down. And by doing that, you're going to keep this persistent thought because otherwise the noise, yeah. the static noise out there is just going to drown it out. I mean, at some point, you'll get to a point where you don't even think about your big dream. And if you're not thinking about it, you're going to start going a whole different direction. I mean, it's just not even going to be feasible that you even achieve it. So that's a big thing that we really teach our CEOs to do is to write it down, not just write down what their big dream is, but write down some action that they're going to take a day. Yeah that's going to advance them towards their big dream. That's great advice. You know, the big dream, everybody has this in their head spinning around, but like you said, that other things distract you. And then, you know, all of a sudden you're off the rail and you're like, Oh, here's the dream that I was dreamt about. Yeah. Or it's the same dream for the last 20 years because you never actually took that daily action to get to it. Yeah. And so I love that daily reminder of this is the goal, right? This is the dream where we want to go doesn't need to be this big, long thing. It's just, here is the dream. Just remind yourself, write it down. Then what's the one action that you're going to take today? doesn't have to be a big, long step. Just what are you going to do today? And then achieve that one thing. And then you have that incremental progress, that incremental progress compounds over time. And eventually you look back, you're like, oh my goodness, I'm here, right? I've achieved it or I'm very, very close. It's right there and it's attainable. And then those steps get even easier, right? Because you can see the light that's right there. Right? All I have to do is a couple more of these steps and I'm going to get there. Yeah. Super exciting. I love that. Simple, right? Simple approach, but it's something that most of us are not doing. That's something I'm not doing and I'm going to start doing because I think that's a great suggestion. Jonathan, before we wrap things up, what would you say is the one thing that a small firm architect can do today, right now, 
to build a better business for tomorrow? So get clear on what that big dream is. And a big part of that is what we call align the give. So Napoleon Hill says, you have to determine exactly what you intend to give in exchange for the money or the success that you want to have. So there's achieving a big dream requires an exchange. Um, and the exchange is how you increase the lives of the world. It's how you increase your customer's life. It's the benefit that you're providing. Yeah. And you've got to make sure that it's in alignment. You know, like we had a restaurant owner that had a great restaurant here in Atlanta, had grown it to 2 million, but wanted a $50 million enterprise. Well, if he stays local, he's not getting the $50 million enterprise. He needs to increase a lot more people's lives, right? So he realized he needed to change his game. He needed to expand. So he opened two more locations in Atlanta, and then he expanded to Houston and DC. And now he's just under 50 million in annual gross revenues, something he thought he could never achieve. So it's making sure that you have a really clear give. How do you contribute to the world? How are you useful to the world? And sales done in the right way, it's not selling somebody, it's serving somebody, right? They're exchanging money for the product and service because that's how our economy works, but you're doing them a service. And so you know, when you start thinking about it that way, there's no reason not to grow your business, right? Because you're able to serve more people. So what does that give? And making sure that you're absolutely determined and obsessive about making the give a daily thing, something that you're doing with your teams, with your customers, that you're constantly trying to figure out how you serve and benefit others. Right. You can actually turn that into a metric, right? You could turn that into a something you track. How many people are you serving in a very specific way on a weekly basis mm-hmm. or daily basis? Absolutely. Excellent suggestion. His name is Jonathan Page. The companies are Contract Sprint, Bohr, and In Prime Legal. Contract Sprint is the tech company where you can go get contracts pretty quickly, pretty easily. Business contracts, all the contracts you might need. Bohr is a consulting company that helps CEOs become more successful. In Prime Legal is the legal firm it's jonathanpage.com is the website. You can get access to all of that. And I wanted to just jump back to contract sprint. Jonathan, before we started recording here, you were suggesting that maybe our listeners might be able to get a discount code for contract sprint. And it's very generous offer. So I wanted you to just take a couple of minutes to explain what you're offering and how they might be able to get it. So the documents that are available on contract sprint, we would charge four or $5,000 for those same documents if someone were to hire in-prime legal to do it for them. And it's a do-it-for-you service. So we have to charge more because we're putting a lot of resources behind it. And we have you know attorneys spending the time to draft it up and doing the consultations. Those same documents that were available on Contract Sprint and with the discount code ARCHITECT, your audience can get a 90% discount because our mission today is just to advance our reach. We're not trying to make money with this at the moment. We're trying to test our value proposition and really see if we're able to impact lives with this software. So, you know, we're tearing down any sort of resistance that we can to get people to use this software. So architect, 90% off any document. And then on that site, you can also click on something that's called Be Unstoppable, and you can get access at no charge to our daily success formula. That formula allows you to write it down and write it down and take that daily action that you need. So any of those places you can find me, contractsprint.com, inprimelegal.com, it's jonathanpage.com also has access to all of those sites as well. 
All right. Great. Thank you for that. It's 90% off any contract at contractsprint.com. Use the discount code architect. Jonathan, I appreciate you for coming by here, sharing your story, providing some inspiration and some motivation, some great suggestions. Just write it down and make that incremental progress every day. I appreciate you for coming by and inspiring us today at Entree Architect Podcast. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate you having me. If you liked this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a rating, write a review, and share a link to this episode with a friend. I know I say this every episode, but I'd really love for you to send me some feedback. Share a rating, write a review, however you want to do that. And please share a link to this episode with a friend. Just send it off in an email. Say, hey, take a listen to this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, because that is how Entree Architect has grown to serve thousands more architects just like you. I appreciate it. Share a rating, write a review, and share a link to this episode with a friend. Thank you to all our sponsors for this episode. Links to all our sponsors and all the resources that we discussed today in this episode are available at the show notes for this episode and all the episodes can be found at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. entrearchitect.com slash podcast. Entree Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. That's the media network that's dedicated to architects, engineers, and construction pros. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. If you like this podcast, if you like Entree Architect Podcast, I think you'll love all the podcasts at Gable Media. Go check them out at gablemedia.com. My name is Mark Arlapage. Thank you for listening to this episode of Entree Architect Podcast. I appreciate you. Love, learn, and share what you know. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders, Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that, (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my One that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. 
It's hot. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There's a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. And so for me, the the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.